Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, I'm excited about this moment in time. And in, in fairness, the biggest excitement is, though I am thrilled to introduce uh, what I'm going to call a new friend, I'm more excited that 2,000 years ago, already, it was proclaimed done and finished. Understand, we were, we're waiting to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but our sin was conquered at the cross, paid for, and complete. And family, what a privilege it is to enter into a reminder of that tonight by communion, and then by way of the connection between the Jewish Passover and what we maintain from that heritage in the believer's Passover. Tonight, um, Jews for Jesus have sent us Really, I'm, I'm hoping we'll become a friend to you. Simon Stout comes from Jerusalem, and he has been ministering for two weeks uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. And, and we are excited to have him. And if you will, you don't clap very often for a guest, but you know, he's worth it. All right? thrilled to be with you this evening, as uh, Pastor Pete said. My name is Simon Stout, and my wife and I, we serve as missionaries with Jews for Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, you might notice that my accent doesn't sound like Gal Gadot or another Israeli, and that's because I actually come from the state of Indiana. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize for that. So um, I was born and raised in a Jewish family in Indiana, and I actually didn't come to faith in Jesus until I moved to Israel. Uh, I think there are a few reasons for this, but one of the main reasons is I simply had not heard the good news until I got to Israel. You'd think in Indianapolis, a city with four synagogues and maybe a thousand churches, I would have heard the good news before. But I had heard about Jesus, but all I had ever heard from normally the kids at school was that uh, he wasn't for me, that I wasn't welcome in heaven. Well, it turns out that's not true. Praise the Lord. And when I made it to Israel, I ended up meeting Jewish and Gentile young believers in Jesus who didn't hit me over the face with the gospel. But what they did is they started to love me and get to know me, and I started to be intrigued by their faith. And so after meeting, meeting a group of believers at a coffee shop one night, which had live music and free coffee and believers in Jesus. And, and they said, hey, why don't you come and serve alongside of us this week? We're going to go and help a needy family. And I went because I thought, yeah, I want to help people in Israel. And I could then see their heart of love and service. And I really saw something different about them. So when they said, oh, why don't you come over for our house next week for a Bible study? I said, okay. 
Now you have to realize that when I got to the Bible study and they put a New Testament in my hand, this is the first time as a Jewish person I had ever held a New Testament because it is basically a banned book of our people because we might find something in there that we like. So that evening when reading John 15, the first chapter I'd ever read. It's the chapter of the vine and the branches, but we get to a place where Jesus talks about loving one another, and then he talks about what greater love than he who gives his life for a friend. And I thought, I like that guy. I want to know more about that guy, and I need to read this book. I need to read and know what it says and everything it says about him. And I took that New Testament home with me, and I started reading through it, and my friends, they continued meeting with me, introducing me to the prophecies of the Messiah, things I had never even heard before in the synagogue. And then the next time we met at the Bible study, one of my friends, his name is Beto, he's actually from Mexico, and he, he was living in Tel Aviv at the time, and he said, hey, you know, when you pray at night, and I admit, I didn't pray very often. I maybe said a blessing that goes like this. It says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It is the most traditional Jewish prayer, and it comes from Deuteronomy. Um, and I said that at night just in case I didn't make it through, I think. And so, so I promised him, because he said, Promise me that when you pray at night, pray that if Jesus is the Messiah, that God will reveal that to you. And so I basically pinky promised him, and I don't know about you guys, but I keep my pinky promises, right? And so almost every night for a month, I started praying this, and then the, my friends invited me to attend a congregation for the first time or a church, and I saw all the people gathered and standing and singing and worshiping and in a way that I had never experienced it in the synagogue, in a way that seemed like they knew God in a way that I never understood him. And I wanted that, and I wanted to believe it was true, and everything in my identity said, I can't do that. I can't get rid of 2,000 years of history. I can't turn away from what my parents believe. I can't do it as a Jewish person. And yet, as time went on, I come six weeks to the congregation, and during the service, a lady is there who's not even from Israel, and she was visiting that evening, and at the end of the service, we had a last worship song, and she walked through a group of people, and she said, God, here's your prayers. Jesus is real, and he has great plans for your life. Not knowing who I was, or what I was, or what I had been praying, God had somehow spoken to her, and that night, I couldn't deny it. I, I didn't matter what I had to give up or what my parents would end up saying, I had to accept the truth that Jesus was indeed everything he was promised to be. And, and so this is why I immediately started serving at that coffee shop and why I always believe that, you know, I don't want to just know that every Jewish person in my community gets to hear the good news once. I would love to hear if every person in the world and in your community as well gets to hear the good news that God might want, be able to open and move and transform a life just as he transformed mine. And so I thank you for having me here tonight. I'm so excited to share the Passover because this is not only 
in the Jewish calendar, the evening where as the sun goes down tonight, every Jewish person throughout the world is going to sit at the Seder table, at the Passover table. But it's the, it's the night of the, the day of Good Friday in which our Lord did the miraculous for us and would be risen again in three days' time. So, welcome, welcome. Passover, above all, is really a story of redemption. As a Jewish person, the Exodus story is really, I think of it as my story. But I also, as a believer, think of it as your story because it is a story that points to the gospel itself. Now, I know you might think, mm, Passover, that, isn't that a Jewish thing? Well, I don't want to make you Jewish tonight, okay? I'm not trying to make you Jewish, but what I, what I, I do believe right? That, uh, that in the Passover, we can discover the gospel together. And as we explore the Passover, you will indeed experience his death and his burial and his resurrection and even the promise of Jesus's return. So we're going to begin by looking at the scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 1. And it says, observe the month of Aviv. Aviv is the first month of the Jewish calendar, and it simply means spring. And we are today on the 15th of Aviv, starting the Passover. And so observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from the flock or herd at the place that the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name and do not eat it with bread made with yeast. But for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember your departure from Egypt. So we see in this passage that God commands the Israelites to eat bread without leaven in it for seven days. In fact, Passover has many names, and one of them is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this feast, we eat a special unleavened bread, and we're going to work on your Hebrew tonight, because it's known as matzah. Can everybody say matzah? Now, later on, you, you might be able to come down after the service and try a piece of matzah, and you might think, mmm, this stuff's pretty good. But believe me, those of us who eat this for a week, oh man, we would do anything to get our hands on a bagel or a, a piece of pizza. But why, why does God call us not to eat leaven? Well, in our ancestors' haste to flee Egypt, we had to bring our bread with us when it was still flat. In ancient baking, what today in YouTube you'd call artisanal baking, Small bits of fermented dough are added to the new batch, allowing it to rise and puff up. It makes it full of holes and gives us that lovely flavor that we know as sourdough. And yet, several of the biblical authors, I should say, including Jesus himself, use leaven or yeast as a symbol for sin. And it's easy enough to see why, right? Because if we have just the smallest amount of sin in our lives, it could cause us to rise and puff up with pride, and it can make our souls feel all like sour and full of holes. And so this is why our Jewish people 
at the Passover, we get rid of all of the yeast and leaven in our homes as a symbol of getting rid of all of the sin in our lives. It's about this very ceremony that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, get rid of all the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And that's why uh, most of our Jewish homes, we spend weeks, even up to six weeks, doing an entire spring cleaning. We get rid of all the cakes and the cookies, the bread, the cereals, anything with leaven in it. Now, unfortunately, ladies, this is often considered a role of the woman of the house. Now, I know, I know, it seems like it's not fair, right? Uh, you might say, didn't two of Jesus's male disciples prepare the Passover? And you'd actually be right, it's not fair, and it doesn't even make sense in Jewish tradition. Because in Jewish tradition, it is the man of God who had to stand before God on behalf of his family. And it was the male priests at the temple and the tabernacle who had to prepare for the feasts, just like Passover. So you would be right. It should be the man's job. But don't worry, guys. There is a tradition that gets us out of this predicament. You see, the house has been cleaned for weeks. It is near as spotless. There is like not even a speck of, uh, of leaven to be found. Well, maybe just a speck. You see, the lady of the house has taken a few crumbs and she hides it somewhere in the house and it is up to the man's job to find it. So the evening before Passover, he comes home and he gets together what I will call some interesting cleaning utensils. It involves a napkin and a wooden spoon and a feather. And we can tell he doesn't do a lot of cleaning, right? And he goes on the hunt for what we call the bedikat chametz, or the search for the leaven. Now, where could those crumbs be hiding? Maybe she puts it over near the refrigerator. Maybe she's hidden it under his side of the bed. Well, it just so happens that the lady, she's been kind to him, and she hides it in the exact same place she hid it last year and the year before that and the year before that. And so if he has a good enough memory, he quickly finds those crumbs, and he carefully takes his trusty feather, and he scoops them onto the wooden spoon but he is very careful not to touch the crumbs with his hands. Why? Because these crumbs represent sin, absolutely. So he takes the crumbs, he puts them into his napkin, and he runs out the door on the way to the local synagogue where he's greeted with all the other men of the synagogue in front of a huge bonfire where he burns his leaven and his sin away. Now, to be honest, we all know what a garbage can is, even in Israel, and so that's probably what happens most of the time. But even in Jerusalem, where I live, you can smell the bonfires the day before Passover still, and if they happen to find a loaf of bread encased in plastic, they chuck the whole thing in, and it smells delicious. <laughs> so... Now the man comes home, either which way, and he proudly proclaims, now I have rid my home of all leaven. 
grown, right? Okay. I have rid my home of all leaven, but he adds a little caveat just to be safe. And he says, any manner of leaven, which I have neither seen nor gotten rid of, would be considered null and void and as dust of the earth. Amen. And so now that the house is clean, it is ready for the Passover celebration. Now, at the Passover celebration, the head of the house will put on some um, traditional ceremonial garments, and I have these here. But I'm going to ask you, besides telling you about them, I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask my kids every year, and that is, would you like me to put them on for you tonight? Yeah, and that's what my kids say every night, too. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right. Okay, no. Anyway, so um, the man of the house will put on a white robe, and it is called a kittel. Everybody say kittel. Why white? Well, white, right, in, um, we, we all know it can be a symbol of purity, but in Judaism, it can also be a symbol of royalty. And so, he wears a white robe, and then he goes on. And while he would normally, a Jewish man would normally keep his head covered with a small hat, okay, sometimes tonight he will wear something a bit more ornate, like almost like a crown or a pope hat. That's called a miter. But I prefer this one with Jerusalem on it, and this is what I use for my family. And so with the crown on his head and royal robes, the head of the house has now become symbolically the king. And as the king, he's going to lead his family through the Passover Seder. Ah, Seder. Everybody say Seder. Or Seder in the current pronunciation. Seder is actually, it means order. And that's because tonight's service has a very specific order of events. And we find that order of events in a book known as the Haggadah. Perfect. Okay. Now, some Haggadahs are beautiful and shiny. Some are very modern and have comic book heroes. This is the one I use with my family so that our children always remember and have fun as a part of the Thanksgiving Passover celebration. Now, a Haggadah and the, the Passover Seder can traditionally last four or maybe even five hours, including a meal. Don't worry, you guys. We're going to be okay. All right. Well, uh, we have, if you have got one of these brochures as you came in, we have some excerpts from the Haggadah that we will read from this evening. Okay. So Passover begins with the lady of the house lighting the candles. She will say a traditional Hebrew blessing, so I will chant that blessing now. And I ask if ladies, afterwards you will read with me where it says the blessing over the candles. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher kirishanu bamitzvotav, Amen. All right, ladies. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. 
I love that the honor of actually beginning the entire ceremony belongs to the woman because it is actually prophesied that through the seed of a woman that our Messiah Jesus would be born. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, a light to light the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The Passover Seder is actually a sort of four-act drama, and it's normally represented by four different cups of wine or grape juice that we drink throughout the evening. Now, why would we have red wine or red grape juice? It's because these cups are there to represent the blood of the lambs that were sacrificed at the Passover Seder. Now, the first cup is the cup of sanctification, or the Kiddush cup, the second cup is the cup of plagues. The third cup, which is the focal point of our entire ceremony, is the cup of Geulah, or the cup of redemption. And the last cup is the cup of Hallel, or the cup of praise. Now, you should note that, uh, that most Jewish believers today, we will probably either take four sips of wine, or four sips of grape juice, because one, we have read the epistles of, of Timothy, and two, because we don't need that much blood sugar from the amount of grape juice. With the cup of sanctification, the head of the house offers a blessing for the evening to come. He says, Baruch Amen. Gentlemen, it's your turn. Will you read with me the blessing over the cup? Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. The blessing for the fruit of the vine at the Jewish table, like on Shabbat or Sabbath, is always followed by a blessing for the bread of the earth. But remember tonight, we're not going to eat just any bread. We eat matzah. Thank you. Excellent. Somebody's paying attention here. All right. But, but matzah at the Seder table is not traditionally found on an easel we find in Hobby Lobby. It is found in this beautiful bag, or semi-beautiful bag, um, and it is known as a matzah tash. Okay, now this bag, okay, it has three separate compartments. It's kind of hard for everybody to see in the back. And each compartment has a different piece of matzah. Now, I had a friend recently who was uh, down in Texas. He was speaking about the Seder, and he had a lady run up to him and look at this bag, and she said, ah, a tortilla bag. So for those of you in the back, it looks very similar to a tortilla bag. So the head of the house actually takes out the second or middle piece of matzah at the beginning of the Seder, and he blesses it, saying... Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Alam Chamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz Amen. All right, can everybody read with me, please, the blessing over the bread? Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He then takes the second or middle piece of matzah and he breaks it in two. 
and he puts one half over on the side that will be eaten with the Passover meal. The second piece, he takes it, and he puts it inside of a napkin. It is called the afikomen. Everybody say afikomen. Afikomen is not a Hebrew word. It is actually a Greek word, and it roughly translates that which comes later, because the head of the house, sometime during the dinner, will hide the afikomen, and the children in the middle of the dinner will have to go and find it and bring it back, and it must be redeemed in order for the story to continue to unfold. So now that we've said the blessing over the candles and the wine and the bread, it is now time for the, uh, the youngest child to come forward. And he asks, he or she, would ask the traditional four questions, which are also called manishtana. But they don't just ask the four questions, which you see in your brochure. They actually sing them. And I will sing the first question for you so you have an idea. It co goes... All right, well, everybody read the first question along with me. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And those of us who know the story of the Passover, we are obligated to respond. It is because of what the Lord our God did for us when he brought us out of Egypt, out of a house of bondage, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and he provided the sacrifice of the Passover lamb for my family. You see, my ancestors... They were instructed to take a spotless lamb and apply its blood to the doorposts of their homes. And those of us who obeyed God's command, we were spared the ravages of the 10th plague or the death of the firstborn son of Egypt. Because when God saw the blood on the door, death was forced to pass over. And that's actually where we get the English term for this feast, the feast of Passover. In the Hebrew, it's actually called, and it's on my matzotash, Pesach. And that comes from the actual Paschal lamb that was sacrificed to put the blood on the door. So just as my ancestors, you know, we had to, in faith, apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of our homes, those of us who believe in the Messiah Jesus, the Lamb of God, we too must apply apply in faith his blood to the doorposts of our hearts. Amen? The child will then go and ask the further three questions, but don't worry, I'll give you guys a break, and I'll read them to you. Um, but you can follow along. It says, On all other night we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights we are not required to dip the herbs once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? 
On all other nights we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? So the Passover Seder, it is more than just the telling the story of the Exodus. It is really a reenactment. In Exodus, the book, it says that uh, during the first Passover, the Israelites had to eat their meal with a staff in their hands and uh, sandals on their feet, ready to flee Egypt at a moment's notice. But tonight, we sit down at the table, we relax, we recline, we often put pillows on our chairs. Well, in ancient Middle Eastern custom and tradition, it was only the free, only the redeemed that could recline at the table. And so tonight, we recline as we remember our redemption. At the Passover, each Jewish family must must recreate the Exodus experience. We must taste for ourselves the bitter oppression of slavery, and at the same time, we must savor the sweetness of our freedom. This is not an angeled egg plate or a deviled egg plate for, for you. This is a Seder plate, and it has little different compartments, and in each compartment is a different element of the Exodus experience. The first item, and this is where we're, we're gonna really work on your Hebrew a lot, the first item is called the karpas. Everybody say karpas. Now, this is normally parsley, or in Mexico, by our Mexican Jewish friend, cilantro. And, uh, all right, and it is there to represent life. But before we eat it, we have to take the saltiest, cloudiest water, and we have to dip it twice into the water. This salt water is there to represent tears. And it reminds us that a life without redemption is a life that's immersed in tears. The next item on the plate is the chazeret. Yeah, I know those chaz are going to get here. Okay. Chazeret is actually considered the root of the bitter herb. It is normally like a whole, a whole onion. We don't normally eat it. It's just there for a symbol this time. And it reminds us that the root of life can be bitter as it was for our ancestors in Egypt. The next item on the plate is called the maror. It is ground up horseradish or a horseradish sauce. Now the rabbis, I'm surprised you can't smell this in the back. All right. The rabbis tell us we have to eat an entire teaspoon of horseradish. Do you know what happens when you eat a whole teaspoon of horseradish? If you don't, it's hard for me to explain, but everything will become clear. And so this horseradish makes you cry, and it's there to represent that bitter oppression of slavery. Now, in contrast, is the haroset. Haroset, and I can't do this without dumping it on you, is chopped up apples. Sometimes we add nuts or honey or, and cinnamon, and it is supposed to be tasty and delicious. Now, it is there to remind us of the mortar used in the building and construction for the pharaoh. Now, you might wonder, 
how did something tasty and sweet come to represent an aspect of slavery? Well, the rabbis teach us that even in our darkest circumstances, even when life is so tough that you don't feel like you can go on, it can be sweetened by that hope, by that future hope of redemption. The last two items on the plate were actually added after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. This, it's not an Easter egg. It is called the Chagiga. The Chagiga is here. It is a token of our grief over the destruction of the temple. See, the Chagiga is a name in Hebrew for one of the sacrifices that we made at the Passover. And so we will often chop it up into pieces, like, like a roasted egg, chop it up into pieces, and everybody gets a piece and dunks it twice into salt water, which represents... Good, you get more horseradish over on this side, okay. And so the next item on the plate, or the last item, is the zro'ah. The zro'ah is the shank bone of the lamb. And uh, don't worry, we don't eat this one, okay. So Passover is also known as the feast of the Passover lamb. And that's because the lambs that were sacrificed at the temple were the same lambs that were then eaten at the Passover meal. But since the destruction of the temple, the lambs have no longer been sacrificed. And therefore, most Jewish families will not eat lamb at the Passover meal, but they put this shank bone of the lamb as a reminder of those lambs that are no longer offered. And with the zro'ah and the, oh, the zro'ah and the chagiga, the shank bone and the egg, it forces us to ask a question. With no more altar no temple anymore, no sacrifice. How can we atone for our sins? Well, today, the rabbis teach us that atonement can come through repentance and mitzvot, which means good deeds. However, we all know if when we read from the scripture in Leviticus 17:11. It says, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Atonement, therefore, can only be made through blood and sacrifice. And so, at most Jewish Passover seders, this question of atonement really gets left unanswered and unresolved. It is now time for the second cup. We've finished everything on the Passover plate. It's time for the second cup, which is known as the cup of plagues. In Judaism, a full cup represents complete joy. But with this cup, we take our little pinky finger, and as we recite the ten plagues, we dip it in, and we let ten drops fall onto our plate, emptying some of the cup to show that our joy is not full. Because with this cup, we are recognizing the, the loss and the sorrow that, that the Egyptians experienced when they met these plagues. 
But I think there's an important application that all of us can actually take away from this cup. Because, you know, the Pharaoh hardened his heart to God's plan. Time and again, God gave him opportunity after opportunity to let the Israelites go free. But time and again, he said no. And time and again, his people were experienced experiencing plague after plague after plague until it even hit the pharaoh's own home and he lost his child you see in our postmodern society we often believe that you know lie that our faith and our actions are just that ours but in reality if we too fail to obey god's leading in our lives it it can also cause destruction and harm to the people around us. After the second cup, we're now halfway through, and this is where we come to the Passover meal. And there are different delicacies served worldwide at the tables based off of where our Jewish families are from. But at the table, there's also another place setting or a fifth cup now, this cup comes with its own plate, own napkin, own fork, its own chair that sits empty at the table. Now, this place setting is left specifically for the prophet Elijah. Now, you might say, why Elijah? What are, what are we waiting for? Well, Malachi in chapter 4, verse 5 says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that dread and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord comes. So the coming of the Messiah must be preceded by the return of the prophet Elijah. And so at our Jewish homes, we go and we send our kids to go out and open the door and see if Elijah is there. And if he is, we're hoping that he's going to come. He's going to accept our invitation. He's going to sit at our table, and he's going to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Well, it just so happens that Yeshua, or as we call him in English, Jesus, when he was speaking about his cousin Yohanan, or John the Baptist, he said, if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. And upon seeing Jesus by the River Jordan, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, we know that the forerunner Elijah, he has come. And that we, and that this question of atonement that got left unresolved has actually been answered. No longer through the sacrifice of the lambs at the temple, but through the sacrifice of our Passover lamb, our Messiah, Jesus. And those of us who believe in him and the sacrifice he made, this story becomes our story. Because we too have passed over from death to life and from mourning to feasting. Amen. So now that this is the time where we would traditionally
have our Passover meal and eat dinner, I'd like to just take a few moments to share with you about what God, I'll take this off for just a minute, what God has been doing in Jerusalem. You see, you'd think that in Jerusalem, a country in which we have seven million Jewish people, but also a country in which Jesus was born, he ministered, he died, he rose from the grave, he sent his Holy Spirit. We saw 3,000 Israelites saved, right, on the, at the Pentecost. Well, you'd think in a country like that, that many, many Jewish people would know their Messiah. However, when we look at the, the facts, there are 6.9 million Jewish people living in Israel today, and 0.2% of them believe in Jesus. And this is why I think it's so important to share with them and to relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. In our mission and Jews for Jesus, we have three ways we do this, what we call the three pillars of ministry. The first one is go and tell. This is going out there and talking to people who may have never heard that the possibility that Jesus could be that promised Messiah. Uh, one of the ways we do this in Jerusalem is every Wednesday we get together at the park and uh, we get together Jewish believers in Jesus, Gentiles believers in Jesus, and we worship as one new man and we pray for the people of our city and then we go out and we talk to people and we let them know who we are as believers in Jesus, that we have become brothers and sisters through the Messiah and we don't punch them with the gospel either, but what we do, one of the best ways to talk to them is simply to say, uh, can I pray for you for something? And you'd be surprised the responses we get. People ask for prayers for healing, for the loss over a loved one. They pray, even I had an Orthodox guy ask if uh, we could pray for him to have faith. <laughs> and we have been able over the last year to pray for maybe hundreds of people all in the name of Jesus. Now, not everybody wants prayer, that's true, but we have planted those seeds and we trust that God will not let them, you know, go, that he will water them. This is, a, this is my wife, Liz, the Jinji, or the, that's the Jinjit, as we say in Hebrew, or the redhead on the left. Um, she, she was out at the park. We've had different times where where God really moved specifically. One time a lady heard our worship and she started coming back every Wednesday to sit and listen to us and see us pray. And we would talk to her at the end of every week. And after about a month, the Lord moved on her heart and she came to accept Jesus. Now this here, we ended, we ended the prayer meeting one day. We were walking around. My wife was with two of our friends from South Korea and we, they ran into Chen, Chen, which means grace in Hebrew, so her name is Grace. She, um, she is an Ethiopian young Jewish woman, and she was two weeks away from being drafted into the Israeli army. If you don't know, every man and woman, or we call them our children because they're all like 18, um, have to serve in the army. So she was two weeks away from being drafted, and she was so nervous. And when she met my wife and our, our friends from Korea, 
she got excited and she really started talking to them and sharing with them how fearful she was. And at the end of an hour, and this doesn't happen every day, at the end of, of the hour, she said, I don't think it was a coincidence that you met me here today. And, and she was ready. And she said, how can I believe? And she prayed and she accepted Jesus and God opened her eyes. Since then, she's already gone into basic training, and my wife has been in communications with her, and, uh, and she's continued her discipleship process and has begun attending a congregation when she's home every few weekends. The next pillar is come and see. This is allowing our Jewish people to come and see what it means to be a Jewish person that believes in Jesus. Uh, this can be through them coming to Shabbat dinners at our homes, it can be hosting various events. Our team in Jerusalem this year really worked with a local coffee shop. See, the coffee shop owner is not yet a believer, but he has a heart for the community, and he knew that we had a heart for the community. And so he said, why don't we partner together and do events together? And so we did. We started hosting events, and he didn't mind if as part of the event we would, you know, sneak in a seed here or there of the gospel with a message or something that connected with either the Torah portion for the week or, or what, something that was happening in the community. And by the end of October of last year, we were hosting a Sunday night Bible study, which we called Discussions on Jesus, so no one was confused when they showed up. On Wednesday mornings, we were, teaching, uh, we were teaching immigrants, like Russian immigrants, Hebrew lessons. And on, on Thursdays, every two weeks, we had a game night, and people would come and play games with us and get to know us just a little as people so that they'll know we're like semi-normal. And uh, at the end of the year, we created a big winter fair or Christmas fair. And uh, I know Christmas is kind of a big deal around here, but in Israel, you, it's not. You know, you have to go out searching for Christmas to find it. And so Israelis, they have seen Netflix movies, and they are really curious about Christmas and everything Christmas. And so we hosted this fair at the cafe, and over a weekend, like two days, we saw 400 Israelis come and bring their families, decorate Christmas cookies together, and do various activities. We had games, we had hot cocoa, um, and we even all sang Christmas carols, and I mean carols, about the birth of Jesus together, and Israelis were plenty happy to do it, even though they don't believe in him yet. And it was amazing, but what happened was it got so big that the next, the next week, the cafe started experiencing some extreme persecution. And people came against the cafe owner, not against us, and they basically threatened to remove his kosher license, which isn't probably a big deal in Central Point, okay? But in Jerusalem, people will not eat at the coffee shop or the restaurant if it is not kosher, according to the rabbis, and has that certificate on the wall. And so they were threatening his livelihood and his family, and so he pulled back because he didn't want his name in the paper and he didn't want to lose his livelihood. And so we also chose to pull back 
and we moved the events into our homes and other places where we have maybe church services here or there. But we are really praying for our team to someday soon have a location, doesn't have to be huge, where we can invite Israelis once again to come and see what it means to be a believer in Jesus. The last, uh, the last pillar is love and serve, and it is just like it sounds. It's doing acts of service in the community with the love that the Lord has given us. Um, we might do this by feeding the homeless, uh, working with soup kitchens, uh, going out and giving gift baskets to Holocaust survivors. In Jerusalem, the most recent thing was about uh, a month ago now, or maybe a little over a month ago, we sent two of our team members who speak Russian and two of our team members from Tel Aviv, and they flew to Poland where they were working with the refugee women and children coming across the border. And they were really working closely with our, our team members because we have... Um, we have two branches of Jews for Jesus with 19 missionaries who serve in Ukraine. And so many of them, some of them have been able to leave, the women and, and kids have been able to leave, but the guys are picking up the people on the border, connecting with our teams in Poland and being able to transfer the people, get them settled, get them food, get them clothes, whatever they need, and really minister to them in this time of crisis. And while all these events and other projects are great, one of the, one of the real things that we do, 80% of what I do is following up with the people we've met along the way. And we have visits with them, and we have coffee with them, and we get from conversation A to conversation B to conversation C to maybe opening the Bible together and reading from scriptures together and maybe even sometimes praying together and hoping that one day God will move on their heart and remove the blinders from their eyes and they will know their Messiah. Amen. And so we have here Susan. If there's any prayer thing that I ask you to remember tonight, pray for Susan. Susan is a friend of mine. She is Israeli. She is the daughter of two Holocaust survivors who survived the kinder transport, meaning they were children orphaned from their homes. And because of this, Susan grew up knowing that she had Jewish roots, but was completely atheist and did not observe anything. And maybe because of this, Susan is very skeptical when it comes to all things faith and religion. But over time, my wife and I have been, we have a local community garden in our neighborhood. We've been gardening with Susan. We've been sharing meals together. And over time, Susan not only asked us our testimonies, how do we come to faith, but she started asking us more and more about scripture and showed that spark of curiosity. So much so that I asked her one day if, uh, hey, do you want to have a Bible study together, Susan? And she said, whoa. That became too much for her, right? Because we don't read the New Testament as Jewish people. And so I backed off, but when she asked her next question, the next time we met, she was a little less worried when I pulled out my phone and opened the Bible app and directly read her from the New Testament, from the book of Acts and Paul's testimony. And so I ask that you pray for Susan. Two months ago, she got really sick. She's been in and out of the hospital. We've had connection with her. We've brought her meals. We've been praying with her. She is not only praying that God will heal her, but she has been praying that God will heal her in the name of Jesus. Now, I know he's not a magic word. He's not. But 
I believe that God can answer that prayer. And, and if he does, I, I believe he can turn her heart to him. Amen? So please pray with me and with Susan that God will not only heal her physically, but he will heal her spiritually, and she will come to know the love and salvation and the eternal life found in our Lord. If you find that, as I've been speaking this evening, if, if you feel God is stirring on your heart and you want to somehow partner with the gospel in Israel, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. And there are three ways I think you can do it. First, and the most important way, is by praying for us. Right? We believe it is the prayer of the saints that really helps that God uses to open the, open the eyes of the blind and to move on the hearts of the people. Can you join me in an ancient Jews for Jesus tradition, like about 49 years old maybe? All right, on your little flyer, you have a little tear-off card. So I'm going to count to three in Hebrew, and then we all tear together. Are you ready? Achad, shtaim, shalosh. Oh, I totally tore mine in half. Okay. If you put your name and your address on here and you drop it in the offering plate, my wife and I would be so delighted to send you our prayer updates that we send out every few months that have the most recent stories from Jerusalem and our team and really the specific prayer points that you could be praying for us. If you'd also like to receive like a newsletter from Jews for Jesus, there's a little check box down here. You can also check that. It's a newsletter that comes out about every month and shares about the Jewish roots of our faith, stories of, uh, of what God is doing throughout the world, as well as tips for sharing the gospel in your community. So if you put your name and address here and drop it in, we will be happy to send you our prayer letter. If you don't believe in pens, like some of the young people, you can take a picture. Don't know, oh, my phone's in my jacket. You take a picture of this QR code right here. This is called a QR code. I hope, hope you all know what that is. All right. And that will take you to a form where you can put in your name and address and hit send, and that will go to sign up for our letter as well. The next way you might want to partner with us is by giving a financial gift. But I want to give you two reasons why I do not think you should support evangelism and the gospel in Israel tonight. The first reason I don't think that you should support it is if you don't believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior who died for you, who rose from you, who is here to give you a new life today and in the kingdom to come. If you don't believe that, I know Pastor Pete or I would love to talk with you and pray with you after the service, answer any questions you have, we're glad you're here, but we don't think you need to, to give tonight. And the second reason I don't think that people should give towards the work of the gospel is if you are planning on giving it out of your normal tithes or church giving. Jews for Jesus, we are not your church. We are missionaries. We call ourselves an arm of the church. But we believe that your tithes and your normal church giving, it belongs right here in your local community so we can serve the people of your community and plant seeds of the gospel in your local community. So I ask that anything that you might give would be above and beyond your normal church giving. And you can do that by um, writing a check to Jews for Jesus. You could do that by after putting your name and address, there's a little place where you can add a little gift there. I have a beautiful square, and you can meet me outside at the table. In fact, the third way that I think that you could um, 
connect with the gospel in Israel, is to simply connect with me after the service. I have a table out there with some free items and some not-so-free items. All right. So some not-so-free items include, this is called Christ in the Sabbath or the Shabbat. Shabbat is the most important holiday according to most Jewish people. It's the one that's in the Ten Commandments, and we celebrate it every week. And this finds the gospel in that service. The next, another book, this one is about Israel, written by believers of different denominations, places, and it gives you an idea of what, what, it, what Israel is like and maybe what we could all think of it as, as believers who come from different backgrounds. Um, and one of the free items and the one I'm going to push on you tonight, this is our prayer card. If you leave here this evening and you grab one of these and you put it on your fridge, I would be so blessed if you would have that there so that when you're sneaking that ice cream at 10 o'clock tonight, yeah, I see you over there, okay, um, that you would say, oh, God bless, just please bless Simon and Liz and their family as they serve in Israel because whether or not you're planning to give a gift tonight, we need your prayers. As I said, it is really your prayers that make all the difference. Pray, please pray for my family. This is my daughter, Odea, uh, which means I will give thanks to the Lord. And this is our son, Emmanuel. I bet you know what that means. And, um, and uh, they are like the only kids in their school, like most believing kids, who come from a believing family. And so will you please, um, if you would like to receive our updates and pray for us and our work and our family, please put your name and your address on the, on the form and drop it in. Um, Pastor, will you please come and uh, receive a love offering for Jews for Jesus? But don't go anywhere because the best part of the Passover is yet to come. <laughs> you know, uh, again, I don't know why guests will we'll come here and they say, well, whatever you do, don't cut into the church giving that you would normally do. <laughs> why do they do that? I've got a better thing. Give what you would do for the next time you should have gone out for pizza and now you're not going to. <laughs> Just give the total. Family, uh, I, again, just God has a way of working throughout the world, and it, it's fun to just see uh, how God continues to spread the gospel in unusual places. Let's pray, um, and then I'll just ask if, if the men would come forward. We're going to have a, a, an offering right now, and if you could, um, we just, we'd pray that you uh, would help us out. Father in heaven, we just ask that you'd watch over. Um, be with our chance uh, to give. Be with our chance, dear God, to, to grow more familiar with the connections of the Old and the New Testament. Father, be with our chance to connect with, with, with brothers and sisters who are ministering faithfully in Israel. Dear God, we lift up what's going on in... We lift up what's going on in the Ukraine right now. And finally, dear God, we lift up Susan... Because, dear God, regardless of anything else, it would be a really incredible privilege to find out that, that our prayers were part of the process that you used to draw Susan to you. So, dear God, I, I would ask that, that open doors would be made available for Simon and Liz to communicate that good news. Father, we thank you for the chance to be here tonight and continue to learn. In Jesus' name, amen.
After a delicious dinner, everybody say, mmm, it was delicious, right? You're hoping you ate before you got here. All right. So after a delicious dinner, we now come to the high point or the highlight of the entire ceremony. But before we can proceed, something earlier was broken and hidden and now needs to be brought back. Does anybody remember what that is? The afikomen, thank you. So could I have um, the children come forward and in this zone, not on the stage, there is a hidden piece of afikomen in a white napkin and I need it to be found because we can't continue until it is found. Go, 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 go. You're going to be the first, oh, oh. It's in a white napkin. Oh, not in there, not in there. That's, that would have been a good place. It is visible. Oh, yeah, the afikomen has been found. Yay. Thank you. Okay, so the child will then come forward. Here you go. This is called a... Pesaksman, it means timeout. Not because you were in trouble, but because you did a good job. You deserve a break. Okay, so the child, once the afikomen is found, they bring it to the head of the house who must redeem it for a small price, normally a piece of candy or uh, a couple of shekels, all right? And so then he takes the afikomen and he breaks it into roughly thumb-sized pieces or olive-sized pieces, and he hands it out, he hands a piece out to every person sitting along at the table, and it is taken along with the third cup or the cup of redemption. Does this remind you guys of anything? Yeah, it should, because this is the origin of our communion service. It is the origin of the Lord's Supper. And the rabbis teach us, the, the afikomen, you know, it re represents the lambs, the body of the lambs that were sacrificed at the Passover meal, right? It was the last item even eaten at their Passover meal. It is like the dessert. And at the most famous Passover meal, Jesus, taking the afikomen, says, this is my body which is broken for you. And this matzah, with its sinless nature, can indeed point us to the body of our Messiah. I can even see it in the production of matzahs. See, the rabbis have some specific rules and regulations set down about its production. Do you notice anything about the, Messiah, about the matzah? It has holes because it's holy. No, we say it is pierced just as Jesus was pierced. According to the prophet Zechariah, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. It is also striped, just as Jesus was striped. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, by his stripes we are healed. And I can see the gospel not only in the afikomen and in the matzah, but I can see it in this special bag, the matzah tash. You remember this is a special bag with three different parts. And at the beginning of our ceremony, the head of the house removes the second or the middle piece of matzah, breaks it, hides it, and returns it all with a Greek name. You see, 
the rabbis don't agree about what, what this matzatash is all about. Some people say that the, maybe the three layers are the Levites and the priests and the people of Israel. But why is the middle piece of matzah broken and hidden and has to return? Some rabbis teach that maybe it's the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And while Isaac was bound, he was never broken or buried or brought back. Those of us who believe in the Messiah Jesus, we see that this bag may actually have first-century roots that somehow found it, its way into every Jewish family's Passover Seder. You see, this bag, it's a unity, but it's also a sort of tri-unity. These three pieces of matzah in this bag can somehow represent that triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why is the middle piece of matzah broken and buried and brought back? Because Jesus was broken on the cross, he was buried in the tomb, and he was resurrected on the third day. Speaking of the cup of Geulah, or the cup of redemption. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is the very new covenant that is promised by God through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31, when he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant, the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The bread of affliction taken with the cup of redemption are used to represent the body and the blood of the Passover lamb, my Passover lamb, and I hope yours is Jesus. Now that we have been redeemed, it is time for the fourth cup, or the cup of Hallel. It is the cup of praise. And as we drink this cup, we drink, we speak of the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. It may have been one of these very psalms that, uh, that the apostles sang when it says in the gospel that after dinner they sang a hymn and went out into the garden. Because after all, tonight is a night of thanksgiving. It is a night of rejoicing. It is a night to praise God. I can praise God not only because he freed my ancestors from slavery in Egypt, but because he freed me through the Messiah Jesus of an even greater slavery, that of sin and death. And yet, for most of my Jewish people, this Passover story, it isn't quite over because they are still waiting for the Messiah to come, not realizing that he already has. 
And so at the end of their Passover meal, they say next year in Jerusalem, hoping that the Messiah will come and next year they will celebrate Passover together in Jerusalem. But for those of us who know that he has come, we also know that he is coming back and he's going to sit on his throne and rule from the new Jerusalem. So join me in toasting to our Lord and Savior in saying next year in the new Jerusalem. Next year in the new Jerusalem. I thank you all for being here this evening. And, and I, uh, I would love to you know, even speak with you after the service and answer any questions that you have. But during this time tonight, as I said, most of our Jewish people, they're all sitting around this table. They're opening the door for Elijah, and they are still, the blinders are over their eyes. And I ask that you pray for them and pray for their salvation. But I also want to challenge you today, because we are all called to make disciples, to go out there. And I want to challenge you in this season, as, as Jesus died for us and rose on the first day for us, that in this season, as we see the beauty of what the Lamb of God, our Messiah Jesus, did for us, that we go out there, and even though maybe a family or friend, they don't always want to hear what we have to say. I'm pretty sure in Oregon, not every person who doesn't know Jesus wants to hear the good news, just as they don't necessarily want to hear it in Jerusalem. But I know that if we let God love through us and serve through us, and we are testified to how God has transformed our lives, then maybe, just maybe, God will move on their hearts and, and turn them to the Lord. So I challenge us all to go out into our communities, not just in Israel, but everywhere, and to, to share with others who will listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. I thank you, God, for sending our Paschal Lamb, our Messiah Jesus, to come to sacrifice his life for us, to be raised from the dead, to bless us with a new life, not only today, but also in the Olam Haba, the kingdom to come. Lord, I pray that you will continue to shine through us, that you will continue to bless others through us and love others through us and serve others through us, and that we might see more and more people come to know your hope, your love, your joy, and your salvation. And we thank you, God. May we glorify you in all that we do. B'Shem Yeshua Mashiach, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.